It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. With storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. With storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host. Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, a.k.a. Courageous Love, always just a cut above, yeah. Radio Theater for your soul, it's Radio Theater for your soul, Radio Theater for your soul, yeah. Where storytellers gather around the night, storytellers, where storytellers gather around the night. From the subways of New York City, you're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul. Hello, Radio Theater for Your Soul audience. It's season 11, the summer series of my radio show. My name is Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love, and I am your host who will be gathering with the storytellers around the mic weekly. Storytelling is a gift. It is meant to be shared, and we will continue to provide this platform for storytellers of all genres of storytelling. So, do you want to know what Radio Theater for Your Soul is all about? Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Break it down. Okay, okay. I'll tell you. In a nutshell, it's all about storytelling and storytellers featuring unique voices, the written and or unwritten words during this broadcast, podcast, episode, show, whatever you prefer to call it. I call it Internet Radio, a gathering place around the mic that virtually represents a gathering place around the baobab tree where all kinds of stories continue to be shared. So please stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. Gathering around the mic is another great featured storyteller with another great story. Enjoy! My name is Henry F. Seaman. I wrote Journey Through the Middle Passage, and uh, right now I'd like to read uh, chapters 3 and 4, just to kind of uh, catch your attention for a moment. Chapter 3, Prince Kafa Musa. The evening sky was just beginning to fall, A few stars sparkled, dotted the night canvas, reflecting on the ocean, and bounced from wave to wave. 
I stayed hidden just offshore within the shadows deep inside the tree line. I watched the weather-beaten slave ship drop anchor. By the looks of her, the sun, sea, and sand had all taken their toll. She was rusty and her sails were tattered, torn, or missing. Navigating the stormy waters of the Atlantic Ocean left her riddled and patched with pieces of driftwood scavenged along the way. For the last hour, I had followed her every movement. She slithered along the shoreline like a crocodile searching out its prey. These foreigners did not appear interested in what was living in our West African waters, abundant with fertile schools of sea lions, 400-pound swordfish, 20-pound sea bass, giant lobsters, and delicious crabs. It was a treat to visit the coastline and worth the many hours it took me walking from my village. I was warned to keep my distance. I was captivated by the pageantry and the slow movement of the ship. She effortlessly tossed the sea aside. Her sails caught a strong gust and harnessed its power. I felt no fear. Still, I moved at a slow, ghostly speed through a dark, ominous morning bank of fog, appearing hungry. It swallowed her subtly inviting silhouette. The warm tropical trade winds teased the air with its breeze. All along her dark wooden deck, sailors could be seen running from bow to stern, adjusting the jib sails, ladders, and responding to barked out orders. From the very first moment I spotted this vessel, I knew she was one of the Portuguese slave ships that Duma was always warning us about. Duma was the storyteller or village wise man. He was the keeper of the ancient African stories handed down from father to son all through time and space. He spent many evenings captivating our whole village while we sat gazing at the stars. He filled our senses with wisdom, sweet like melon, but fiery as red-hot pepper meat. We all sat around the village fire, inhaled the sweet scent from the roasted meats, and listened intently to Duma. He repeated his stories of the horror, death, and wonder of slave ships. He told how they stole the lives of men, women, and children. They'd wrap them up in metal chains, pull out their souls, and eat dead human flesh. Then they dragged what was left into distant unknown shores and sell them like cattle. I wondered about the truth of it all. Could a soul be separated from a body? How could anyone turn warriors into slaves? Was Duma trying to keep us from learning more about the outside world? planting fear? I stayed by the shore, determined to find my own answers. The sun continued moving downward. The sky began to darken and fill with the smell of an oncoming storm. The red sky in morning warned of an approaching storm, and now it was coming to pass. The ship flew the flag of Portugal, but her soul was red with tears and blood of my people. My mind was sinking down into the quicksand of the moment. A curious fascination with the mysterious slave ship caused my senses to flicker and veins to throb. I stood in the heavy thickets, slightly hidden from the shoreline in great anticipation of what? I did not know. I concentrated on the movement of the slave ship, never hearing anything until something wrapped around my neck. Something threw me head first down into the sand and chains rattled against the side of my head. I summed up all of my strength in my legs trying to stand and caught the smell of fish as a hand pushed my face into the sand. My eyes were barely able to focus. They started to uncontrollably blink as sand filled my nose and mouth. I was dragged 
through the sand towards the water. I could feel my soul withering inside. I was a hermit crab climbing out of my shell. I knew my soul would not stay intact. My eyes caught sight of the slave ship. It was getting closer and bigger. Each crashing of the waves pounded the sea and my heart. The rushing water and pungent scent of the ocean grew stronger. My soul cried out to my heart as it traversed back to my village. I knew I would never see Africa again, and Duma was right. Tears of fear streamed over my nose, found their way to my mouth, and traveled down my beardless chin. They landed in the sands of my beloved Africa. The beautiful island of Santiago, nestled in an archipelago known as the Cape Verde Islands, was 400 miles west of the African coast. It took a while for the big ship to roll out of the harbor. Its hardware and rigging moan crept along the shore with its sails flapping in the wind and brought me to a place where it all finally struck me. This was really happening. I was going to lose my soul and the pain would only get worse. I was tired and shackled with chains like a beast. The aching in my heart exploded into anger, escaped from my throat in the form of an angry growl, and then burst into a piercing shout, Santiago, Santiago. My shouts abruptly ended when something heavy and hard landed across the back of my neck and knocked me across the deck. The blow made my eyes roll up in my head, but I was still able to twist my head around before the next blow came across my mouth, causing blood to spurt into my eyes. After that, I did not speak, not even to the other imprisoned men, women, or children I was chained to. I watched as my soul twisted and grinded its teeth as it tried to escape its binds. When my eyes got accustomed to the darkness, I looked around and noticed for the first time where I was chained. It was on the port side of the main deck. I could see the ocean rising and falling because I was shackled to the ship's bulkhead. My freedom was only a few feet away except for the thick chains wrapped around my neck and ankles. High tide rolled. The ship went back and forth. My stomach moved with it. My mind calmed down, and somewhere inside I caught the sound of my father's voice. He was calm and firm. I was reminded of where fear rested, how to walk through it, and the lion is king. I was the lion fearlessly anticipating the opportunity to win my freedom. So I quieted my body, caught my breath, and waited patiently for hours for the one mistake my slaves would make. I watched all their movements. One slaver was near my age. He was 18, maybe 21. A short dagger hung by his side, a crimson carving in the shape of a three-inch long mermaid with bright painted eyes hung real loose from his neck. He might have carved it with his own bony hands. This young sailor kept his distance from us chained men, but would always pass real close to the women. They were young, scared, and barely had enough clothing to cover their bodies. He would make his rounds about once every hour, always visually checking to make sure we were still in our chains. He would stop and stare at the women chained nearby me. I began planning my escape. The next time he came near, I would I would use my loose foot and swing it into his stomach. As flabby as he looked, it would be easy to bring him down. Then I would grab the knife. The ship had anchored a mile offshore, a distance I could easily swim. In my village, I was known as the strongest swimmer. This part of the island was home to hundreds of sea lions. 
the favorite food of the white sharks. Even I could not battle the white shark, but I would rather die trying than live without my soul. I waited for the sun to fall into the ocean. Shimmering bright light almost bounced off the moon and caused it to begin an early crescent glow. Flying fish found their food on the starboard side of the ship and the sea lions chased them towards the horizon. They became part of the sea maze and disappeared into a huge swell. Without warning, the ship shoved my body hard against its bulkhead. It did the same to the rest of the chain bodies, even those that had not seemed alive now moaned or showed some sign of life. The young sailor walked over to unscramble two young girls tossed by the wave. He stooped to grab their chains and the ship shifted in the opposite direction. He fell over my foot, slipped on a rope, and his head landed right into the deck. He lay there at my feet with his bleeding tongue hanging out, eyes rolled up in his head and a ring of keys jangling in his hands. In a matter of seconds, I was free from my chains. I grabbed the side rails to propel my dive into the turbulent sea when my eyes caught sight of some captive islanders. I ran over, untied seven of them, dropped the keys, and made a running dive off the ship. It was dusk now and quiet on board. But then shots rang out, screams moved through the waves as I swam underwater for safety. My lungs started to burn, but I sensed the need to stay under. I thought of home, my father and mother until my heart pounded through my chest and vibrated in my throat. Above my head appeared a luminous glow. I realized I was in that shimmering part of the ocean. It was quite bright and was like looking into the sun. No one could see me as I floated to the surface. Just enough for my nose and mouth to suck in air. Something hard and cold-nosed against my leg. But I kept my calm. I knew if I splashed around in the water, I'd give my position away. I slowly turned around in the water, expecting the wide open mouth of a shark to greet my heightened gaze. To my surprise, the ancient shell of a giant sea tortoise welcomed me on board. For some unknown reason, only the songs of the griot will know. It dove underwater and headed away from the slave ship towards my island. Now as we floated back to the ship, I could see lit campfires all over the island, but exhausted and fearful of being spotted, I held on tight to the tortoise shell until we gently straddled the seashore. End of chapter three. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. Chapter 4, Captain Jamaica. When I reached the shoreline, strength returned to my legs. I stood up, watched the moon push the ocean aside and disappear. Trying to rein in the symphonic taste of the West African evening, I filled my lungs and peace fell on my shoulders until I thought about the men, women, and children I just left behind, chained on that slave ship. I had to return and free them. Without paying much attention to it, I had been grasping something in my balled-up fist. I opened my hand, and the keys fell to the sand. I thought I left them when I jumped, but there they were, the keys to the chains. I was named after my father. His name was Kafa Musa. He was killed in battle when I was only four years old. I have always been told he was the bravest warrior of his time. For years, Duma would remind me that I was a prince a great-grandson of Emperor Sandiata. Though my father was killed many years ago in battle, the love of the Mali people was what he fought and died for. 
I can still feel his heart pounding inside mine. Would he leave those captured souls aboard that ship? No. I couldn't leave them either. I had to go back and free them before it sailed away. I picked up the keys and got back into the ocean. The water off the shoreline was warm, calm, and sparkling clear. No reflection of the flotilla of pain in its midst. The ocean was alive and vibrant, making it easy for me to gather several large clams at the water's edge. I smashed them against each other and they popped open. They tasted tough, but I chewed until my jaw muscle felt like they were about to fall off my face. I needed some food, any food. I ate a few leaves of seaweed along with the clams to settle down my stomach. It had only been 24 hours since I was captured, chained dragged face down through the sand and thrown aboard that ship. The more I thought about it, the stronger my body got. I hoped the ship would be easy to climb up into. Would I be able to free the other Africans? I knew the answer was yes. I started swimming towards the ship, got tangled up in a group of storm waves and tossed around. When I surfaced, my arms were holding on to a long piece of floating flat wood. It might have come from the slave ship. It was the same weather-beaten color. I held on tight, kicked my legs, and moved slowly and steadily. Like a crocodile floating down the Nile, I quietly made my way towards the ship. It was still a good ways off, and the moon had only begun to rise and was covered in a cool shroud of darkness. That was a gift to me because I needed the darkness to hide inside. As I neared the ship, everything was quiet. I stayed low and hid behind the long piece of flatboard and waited. My strength doubled when my fingertips scraped the barnacles growing on the cold anchor chain. I tied the flatwood to it, figuring on using it for the return swim back to the shore. It was an odd, odd feeling climbing back on board a ship I had just escaped from. The ship was still, except for the slapping of the waves against its hulls. All was deathly still. Nothing aboard was moving, and only the rhythm of the breaker waves broke the silence. I walked over to where I'd been chained and stepped over four dead bodies. They were still chained to the ship's bulkhead. One man had his throat slit. Another had a chain wrapped around his skull and neck, and two women were both lying in a pool of blood. When I reached down to unlock an old woman from her shack, she simpered softly. I looked over my shoulder to port side and jumped back when I saw a shadow approaching the ship. It was twice the size of the slave ship and silently pulled alongside us. Its ominous black flag dangled fiercely in the midnight breeze and beamed in the now gleaming moonlight. The flag had a black skull with white crossbones on it. It was flying the flag of a pirate ship. I froze in my tracks. A fiery blast shot out and an orange-red flame burst from the side of her. The cannonball shot across the bow past me and crushed the captain's cabin. The slavers took no time to react and rushed up to the main deck from their sleeping quarters. They were trying to get dressed while holding rifles. They, they looked tired, dazed, and filled with fear. I am Captain Jamaica, but call me Jamaica. If you want to leave the rest of your slave-stealing days, drop your weapons on the deck where you stand right here, right now. His was a powerful voice, 
one sick with a melodic Caribbean accent that boomed across his pirate ship and shot across our bow. His words filled the atmosphere with the sound of command, and they were coming from an African pirate captain. The chained prisoners seemed to have new life. I stood straighter and taller indeed. The deck of the slave ship resonated with the sounds of tossed swords, knives, and muskets. I began to unlock some shackled prisons, and as I did so, I could feel the scowls from the slavers as they watched me move. They were cowards when confronted by equal force, man to man. These slaves belong to the king of Portugal and are our cargo. You have no right to touch them by order of the, the slave ship's captain's feeble speech was drowned out by the roar of laughter from the pirate crew. The roar blew into the wind, bounced off the white caps, and landed in the ears of fear-frozen slaver crew. Now they were the captives. They could experience what it feels like to have their souls slip away. Jamaica lowered his head and raised his voice. Captain, you must not have heard me. You ready to die for your cargo? I have no problem with that. Come by here and be ready to die. We are ready to return to Port Royal, Jamaica, with all of these free men and women. I grabbed the sword from off the deck and approached the slave ship captain. When I got close enough, I raised the blade with both hands. His eyes grew big as walnuts. He dropped to his knees and begged me to spare his life. My blade was coming down, but something stopped me in midair. Something had a hold of my wrist. I backed off and looked at the smoke-filled, flaming ship, dead bodies lying all around the deck. In anger, I raised my sword again, and when I heard Captain Jamaica yell, Stop! Young lion, stop! We watch you swim from the op shore and climb board this ill ship, a slave pirateers. Do you want us to leave one man? Yeah, you is brave. No need to kill this one. He's already dead. All his men shouted in agreement and welcomed us aboard. The slavers were kept alive for a few hours. Captain Jamaica ordered them to walk the plank when they were sailing through the bloody shark-infested waters. In the end, the slavers were thrown in with the sharks because the plank was nowhere to be found. By this time, we had sailed too far from the shore for me to swim back, and Captain Jamaica told me his ship was being followed by some bounty-hunting privateers. A reward of 10,000 pieces of gold was on his head for terrorizing the seas. Days later, we reached Port Royal on the island of Jamaica. It was home to most of these Patois-speaking pirates. We, 100 freed Africans, were excited to be free, but after weeks on the high seas, we were ready to trade our sea legs in for land, any land. When we docked, some of the women left, but most of them decided to stay on board with their chosen pirate. When I arrived in Port Royal and told people my name was Kafa Musa, everybody eyeballs raised as if they knew something I, I didn't know. I spoke Amharic the native tongue of Ethiopia, and I spoke Yoruba. But Captain Jamaica, he spoke Spanish, English, Yoruba, Amharic, and some Brazilian Portuguese. One evening, while just off the eastern coast of Belize, he shared with me how he became a pirate, Gaffa. 
in the fall of 1751, I made my first voyage as a young seaman board a 30-ton vessel called the Coral Deep. It had a crew of only 51 sailors. In her captain, her captain's name was Tay Toons. He was a known pirate. We headed straight for the east coast of the United States and landed in New England, the colonies. We dropped anchor in Richport, a rich city called Newport, on the Quinnick Island, off the state of Rhode Island's eastern coastline. The Coral Deep had a cargo of sugarcane and black market rum to unload. When we started to load up, slavers brought in 80 chained African slaves. They dragged them aboard, sourced below decks, and piled them in the hole, out of sight. I thought to myself, our only crime was the color of our skin, and we lived, and where we lived. When I originally hired on in Senegal, Africa, no mention of slaves were made. We had enough water and food stores to last a year at sea and contract to pick up some shipment of 300 barrels of rum from the West Indies. I noticed his Jamaican accent steadily losing its thickness as he relived his story in his mind and heart. I didn't say a word. I, I let him talk and just listened. His eyes glowed red and were tinted with a flare of tropical heat that opened his pores, pushed sweat out of the rims of his upper lips down into his mouth where it got lost in his full bearded chin. In his excitement and anger, he sprayed a mist in all directions, at and over me. He never looked at me, only through me. At times he lowered his head, glared towards the ship's deck while the veins running across his forehead appeared about to explode with deep-rooted anger. He continued, I left the ship alone to get some food and drink at the White House Tavern in Newport, Rhode Island. I, I took a horse and carried a carriage ride down Bellevue Avenue. The driver decided to go around a crowded corner and went down Thame Street, uh, Cobblestone Street. It was loud, and as we moved along, people got out of the way. The carriage turned towards Washington Square, towards the courthouse. I, I jumped out, paid the driver, and made my way to the White Horse Tavern for a mug of rum. And before Captain Jamaica could finish another word, two gunshots echoed out of the blackness. A shot flew right by my ear. I felt a burning sting on the side of my face. The next thing I remember is waking up with sounds of steel blades, muskets exploding, and a big bleeding gash on the side of my head. I thought it was all just a bad dream until I looked on the deck and saw Captain Jamaica bleeding from his neck. His eyes were wide open, dotting all over the place. I took my palm, placed it over the wound on his neck, and pushed down hard like I had seen Duma work wounds when the hunters came to him with their injuries in my village. When I pushed down on the vein, the bleeding stopped. The rest of the men were in the fight of their lives and they fought like there was no tomorrow. Screams were heard by the women as they dealt with the wounded, but Africans understood war, death, and survival. Finally, one woman ran over, grabbed the seam of her dress with both of her hands and ripped a section of it off to make a large bandage. She gently put the captain's head in her lap and kept enough pressure on his neck to stop the bleeding. 
he needs to rest. He's lost a lot of blood. There was softness in her spirit, especially when she looked down at him. He slept, and the battle between some pirateers and Captain Jamaica's men ended almost as quickly as it started. It was erected that the two ships had coming. The pirateers had attacked Captain Jamaica before and lost the battle just like this time. We stayed our course after the dead were tossed and slept a long, tired sleep. The ocean seemed to rock us with a rhythm that mourned the loss of friends and foe alike. As I watched, the moon fell into the ocean and disappeared under the horizon. We were on course to sail back to Port Royal, Jamaica, in a few days. I just couldn't stop thinking about the United States. End of chapter four. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul with your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman. Thank you to featured storyteller, Henry F. Seaman. He is an educator and published author. He is also an actor, a husband and father, born in 1951 in Newport, Rhode Island. And if you recognize his voice, it's because you have heard it before back in season five here on Radio Theater for Your Soul. Well, he responded to the invitation again, and he's back sharing two more chapters of his published book titled Journey Through the Middle Passage, written for all of the people of color who need heroes and heroines who look like them. And his overall story today is titled after chapters three and four, Prince Kafamusa and Captain Jamaica. To directly connect with featured storyteller Henry F. Seaman, please direct message him and or follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for Henry F. Seaman. Look for his blue book cover and his picture, and you will know that you have found the correct Henry F. Seaman. Seaman is spelled S-E-A-M-A-N. You can also purchase Journey Through the Middle Passage, written by Henry F. Seaman, on Amazon. And once again, uh, you can contact me uh, on Facebook. You can get me on Instagram, uh, TikTok, and you can email me, obviously. And I left that information uh, so you can get your hands on it. But once again, Journey Through the Middle Passage, and I'm Henry F. Seaman. Now, if you missed any part of featured storyteller Henry F. Seaman's story today, well, please go back and listen. Listen anytime right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul. Listen as often as you like and from wherever you tune into podcasts. You can also easily listen on our website at radiogathering.wixsite.com slash radiogathering slash podcast. And please remember to follow, subscribe, and like Radio Theater for Your Soul at Radio Gathering on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where you will continue to find all kinds of stories and all kinds of storytellers who gather and share in all kinds of storytelling. 
Listeners, season 11, our summer series is here. And just so you can spend a little more time soaking up the sun, this will be a shorter season than normal. But no worries, we're still full of all new stories and new storytellers for your continued listening pleasure. Thank you again to our featured storyteller today, Mr. Henry F. Seaman. And finally, I sign off weekly with a poem or what I call a poetic offering. I'm going to sit right here on this earthly soil, see what happens. Going to walk to the fringes of the water, feel a wave touch my toes. I'm going to kneel and put my handprint in the muddy. Going to stare down the sandpiper that's staring at me. I'm going to fling my arms in the air, square off with the sky. Smile at the sun, hug the air, marvel at God and his wonder. (laughs) That poetic offering is titled, By the Ocean, written by yours truly. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul, Radio Theater for Your Soul, Radio Theater for Your Soul, yeah. Where storytellers gather around the mic. I am your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. Thank you to the Most High God. Thank you to my family, friends, ancestors, and you. Thank you so much for listening. It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. We storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. The storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host, Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, aka Courageous Love. Always just a cut above. Yeah.